Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. We have one of our favorite guests on tonight. This has got to be our fifth, sixth, or seventh episode of Check Point Charlie. We have the great Charlie Pierce on the phone from his home in Massachusetts. And uh, Charlie is a great uh, uh, writer, uh, sports nut, Twitter fanatic, and uh, writes a great uh, uh Weekly, sometimes more than uh, several times a week for Esquire.com, one of the hippest liberal minds out there. Um, I call him my psychological morphine drip into the world of politics. And uh, incidentally, uh, Monday of this week was actually the 30th anniversary, the removal of Checkpoint Charlie, which was the border between communist East Berlin and capitalist West Berlin uh, during the Cold War, the site of daring escapes, spy swaps and armed standoffs. But uh, on Checkpoint Charlie and the Wall of Power Radio Hour with Charlie Principal Metza, we do combine the communism with the capitalism. We usually start talking about politics and then get into music and Bob Dylan. We're going to just forget the politics tonight and get to write to Bob Dylan with his fabulous new record, Rough and Rowdy Ways. Charlie, how are you today? I'm doing really well, Paul. we got to find out if one of those signs is on eBay. Yeah, definitely. From from, from Checkpoint Charlie. Oh, my God. Yeah, we I mean, get... It, they're probably in somebody's garage over in you know, <laughs> Germany. Yeah, we... If there's a if there's a if there's a German version of American Pickers, we could check it out. Absolutely. See if they can find it. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, Brett uh, Johnson, uh, my engineer, put that down in the notes. Let's look for a uh, uh, checkpoint, Charlie. Sign, bring it into the studio. At least uh, put it up when we put uh, these shows up online. So, Charlie, uh, there's enough going on in the world right now, and uh, I don't want to talk about any of the politics. Uh, if that's okay with you. <laughs> Fine by me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's your beat. I mean, we might reference I mean, we're, all just, we're, we're all just spectators pretty much at this point anyway. So Yeah, pretty much. Now, uh, when you heard about that Dylan had a new record coming down the pike, uh, what did that mean to you as a lifelong, like myself, a lifelong Dylan fan? Well, I, I, I wasn't I mean, I heard about the album before he released Murder Most Foul. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what to make of it because, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I, I was very apathetic toward his turn to the great American songbook. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's Bob, whatever he wants. He wants to do a couple albums of, you know, you know, Sinatra standard. Who's to say no? Yeah, but I wasn't going to, you know, I wasn't going to buy it. Right. But then, then the, the, the epic dropped. And I thought to myself, man, he's got stuff. He's, whatever notebook he's using is full because there's a lot of stuff <laughs> in this song. You know? For those one of you, one thing I don't know, Paul, and you probably yeah. do. I don't have the the CD yet. Yeah, Who's I'm looking at. You Who's know, in the band? It is. It's his. Uh, it's his recent touring band. Uh, Bob Dylan on vocals and guitar. Charlie Sexton has been with them uh, for, geez, I think 15 or 16 years on guitar. Bob Brett, who was recently added, I think, this uh, last summer or the spring before. Uh, Nashville guitar player, uh, based in Nashville, but he played with Delbert McClinton for years. His okay. Actually, his wife, Etta, and her sister sang on my record uh, when I was down in Nashville. 
uh, doing Whistling Past the Graveyard. Donnie Heron has been playing pedal steel and violin and accordion. Tony Garning has been with them since, I believe, about 1987 or 1988. I'd like to put in uh, Tony Garnier's family. And he's got a large family. He's originally from St. Paul, Minnesota. And, there you uh, go. Yeah, and Tony uh, kind of came onto my radar. He used to play bass for Ray Benson in Sleep at the Wheel, among other things. And, uh, oh, that's terrific. Yeah, and then and a great... Oh, I wrote, by, by, the, by the way, uh, I think you, you probably arranged the delivery for me. I wrote the World Headquarters, written by the guy who owned it. What's that? Oh, you just dropped out for a little bit. Just repeat yourself. Uh, I think you may have arranged that I get this book, but I read that history of Armadillo World Headquarters. Oh yeah, did you? Yeah, by Eddie Wilson. Yeah, yeah. And of course, the Sleep in the Wheel was a big character in there. Oh yeah, yeah. God, Ray and the boys—they've been. I think they're celebrating their fiftieth anniversary this year. Uh, I've got to get that. I haven't seen that whole book yet. Is it really, really good? It's, I mean, spot read it. Don't, don't. Yeah. But dip in and out of it, and there's. There's some wonderful anecdotes. I mean, you know, it's I'm a sucker for those behind the scenes things anyway, and this is pretty. This one's pretty good. It's big though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I met Eddie Wilson once. He was running the um, thread gills down on the river. Uh, right. And uh, it, it was funny. I was uh, I went to a show. It was actually uh, Rocky Erickson's comeback gig at one of the South by Southwest years ago. Somebody looked at me, the promoter of the guy that was actually promoting the show, thought I was this big-time bootlegger who bootlegged shows. He must, his name was Kilo, so he must have had a couple other business interests. So they, <laughs> uh, so they actually kicked me out of the outdoor uh, concert part. They took me inside to Threadgill's. Uh, my buddy who was driving me around was completely hammered. He tried to come up and... Uh, inter- er, talk to the cops and go, no, this guy's just a folk singer from Minneapolis. When the, when a Texas cop says stay on the perimeter, you know you're in deep doo-doo, right? Yes, so definitely. finally I get myself out of this fix. And I'm just fuming because I can't go to see uh, Rocky Erickson play. And I run into Eddie Wilson, who's running uh, running around the perimeter of the club on the outside. And said, I said, uh, Eddie, I knew, I, I knew who he was. I said, Eddie, I said, I'd really love to get into the show. He said, well, I, I can't. It's this guy's show. And I said, well, he was really uh, an a-hole to me. And he goes, well, he's he's been a, in a great text way. He says, he's been a burr on my saddle all afternoon. So, But he was really kind. So I go back in. And who do I run into, Charlie Pierce, at the host stand? Who does Paul Metzer run into? Carl Rove. Paul, you dropped out. What? So I walk back into the uh, Threadgills. I figure, well, I might as well have a dinner and a and a several drinks. And who do I run into waiting at the host stand? But Carl Rove. Oh, of course, because often, yeah. 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 So anyway, we start talking. And we'll get to the Bob Dylan record soon here. But uh, so we're going to get, so I start talking to Carl Rove. And I said, I said, we've got a good mutual friend, uh, Senator Norm Coleman. I've known Norm for years, back when he was a Democrat working for Skip Humphrey, the attorney general's office. And um, so then we started to chat. And I said, geez, I got to get a picture of you. Think, reminding myself of that great shot of Elvis and Richard Nixon. So I go out and I'm trying to find somebody with a camera and uh, 
Finally, I got the picture of uh, Carl Rove and I with the Jerry Lee Lewis poster in the background. And when I'll send you the picture. <laughs> and when you see right over uh, Carl's shoulder on in the background on the Jerry Lee Lewis poster, it says killer. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. So yeah, that's pretty good, right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, my my wife got me a, a poster in 19, I guess 88, because it was the election of of Daddy Bush. A picture of BB uh, King and Lee Atwater jamming. <laughs> yeah, Lee actually had really good taste in music. He was probably about the same level on guitar that Mike Huckabee is on bass. Um, I think I wrote a letter to the editor after they had the, quite a phenomenal lineup of uh, musicians. And I think I sent to City Pages and said, but did they let any black people into the event? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, God bless them for at least it's a great taste in, uh, in uh, American Roots music. Speaking of American Roots music, uh, Charlie Pierce, this new Dylan record, Rough and Rowdy Ways, which is named after a uh, – Jimmy Rogers song, and it features a picture of Jimmy Rogers. Yeah, not the, not the, not, the, not, not the honeycomb Jimmy Rogers either, but the singing brakeman. Yeah, singing brakeman, who's uh, one of his one of his little bits of info I love about Jimmy uh, Rogers was he was a big uh, marijuana aficionado, and we used to drive around as both a brakeman on the trains, and then travel by train to play. He used to. He was like the Johnny Appleseed of wheat. He used to just throw all the seeds along the railroad track uh, all over the country. So if there's somebody out there smoking ditch weed right now, it might have been planted in the late 20s by uh, by Jimmy Rogers. Well, I actually uh, – I was in Meridian, Mississippi. His hometown. How was that? I'd love to go there. Jimmy Rogers Museum, and I got uh, – I got uh, – a hat. I don't know where the hat is. Somewhere. Oh, cool. It's around somewhere. Yeah, and the museum is an old caboose. Oh, nice. Perfect. Perfect. Well, now, really quickly, Charlie, before we actually listen to some cuts off Rough and Ronnie Waves, three songs that you picked. Um, oh, I got to say uh, a couple more of the musicians. Matt Chamberlain, who I think he uh, plays drums. He's playing Soundgarden. And then, of all people, Fiona Apple is on this uh, as well. Yeah, and then the other uh, musicians on the record also include Ben Montench from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Oh, and, from Tom Petty, sure. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Fiona Apple. So, uh, yeah. Really? Yeah. What, what does she do? I think she plays piano. Interesting, because there are... I, I, I was interested in the in, in the drummer because there are a lot of song, there are several songs in the album that have no drums. Yeah, and then there's some there's some really cool on a couple of tunes some really quiet almost invisible background vocals that are really groovy too. But what was your let's go back to a young uh, Charlie uh, rabble rouser uh, teenage years? What was your first uh, Dylan record that that you really locked into the Bard with? Oh, uh, I mean, I mean, I guess you know everybody says like a Rolling Stone because that was the first single we ever heard. But I think the first album was Highway Sixty One. I mean, I bought it. I bought it as you did in those days because you were a sucker. I bought it, uh, you know, because like a Rolling Stone was on it. You buy an album because the single you wanted was on it. Right. But then you know, I I, I listened to it all the way through, and a lot of something I didn't get really right off, but. 
Queen Jane, the, the first song on the second side, I don't know why it belted, why it knocked me over, but it did. The whole the idea that, number one, there's no chorus. Right. Perceive. But also the way all the chords go down. Mm-hmm. You Descending. Know, one after another, after another, after another. And then, you know, the, the rest of that side, I mean, uh, Highway 61 is a great rock and roll song. Uh, just like Tom Thumb is, a, is, a, is you know, what can you, that's... That that that's in the classic songbook, and then Desolation Row, right. which I have to this day. I don't think I've ever heard a funnier song. Yeah, I mean, that is a funny song. Yeah, and, and uh, of course that was that was the inspiration for my having gone out one year uh, uh, for Halloween as Einstein disguised as Robin Hood. <laughs> Perfect choice, Charlie Pierce. We're going to listen to a cut off Dylan's new record, Rough and Rowdy Ways. Goodbye, Jimmy Reed, and then uh, we're going to have uh, Mr. Pierce on for the whole show. Uh, talk to Dylan and listen to a couple other tracks off this, uh, what some are saying is uh, Dylan's uh, new masterpiece. I live on the streets, named after a saint. Women in the churches wear powder and paint. Where the Jews and the Catholics and the Muslims are praying, I can tell a prodding from a mile away. Goodbye, Jimmy Reed. Jimmy Reed, indeed. Give me that old-time religion. It's just what I need. So, Charlie Pierce, we just uh, heard the end of the first uh, set on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Uh, goodbye, Jimmy Reed. And you and I started listening out to Dylan, you know, as a young folk singer. He's in early 20s. Then his Highway 61, like a Rolling Stone, he's 24, 25, getting back to his rock and roll thing, which he was doing in high school with his band, The Golden Chords and Hibbing. And now, <laughs> 59 years later, he's a bona fide blues man. Yeah, I mean, he's, a, he's one, of those, uh, one of those voices that, uh, you know, he was listening to on that Harry Smith collection. Yeah, exactly. You know, could have been recorded a week ago, could have been recorded 60 years ago. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the thing about this, you know, he's got this kind of, you know, old prophet of the mountain, you know, mountain man kind of persona going, and it's perfect for the lyrics. Yeah. It's perfect for the songs. Just as, you know, you know, the rock and roll voice was perfect for uh, for Highway 61 and Blonde on Blonde. I mean, it's it just, you know, he found, he, you know, he, he found a persona, which he's really good at creating, and he found a voice for it. Yeah. And the other thing you can hear in this new, you know, persona that he's created you can hear the influences of all the others. Yeah. I mean, you can hear, you certainly hear about, hear the Christian period in there, mm-hmm. both in the singing and in the writing. I mean, he's mined, well, he's mined all kinds of different texts, and we'll get in that, we'll get into that in, in, in a little bit later. But he's certainly mined, like, you know, the biblical sensibility. Yeah, and he has that, what I really enjoyed now, I've listened to it about, four times all the way through and then bits and pieces in between. But there's a real sort of uh, authority 
to this record. There's also a certain amount of he's doing this at his own pace, you know. And so I feel like he's completely comfortable with himself at the age of 79 doing this for 59 freaking years. Yeah, well, I mean, that's always been the case. It's always been, you know, you know, the the line from Subterranean Homesick Blues, don't follow leaders. That also means, you know, don't be prepared that I'm, I'm, I'm going to do something you don't expect. Right. And anybody who at this point is still surprised by anything he does hasn't been paying attention. <laughs> I mean, I said this when he did the Victoria's Secret ad. <laughs> you know, any other rock and roll star... It's worthy of comment. Right. Bob is just Bob. Yeah. He did it. Right. Right. Well, like he said at that uh, at that uh, press conference in San Francisco when he was 25, he said, what are you? What do you call yourself? He goes, I'm a song and dance man. I'm a song and dance man. Exactly. <laughs> that, may be my fa- that may be my favorite quote of his of all time. <laughs> well, that's uh, – well, you know what's really um, – what I'm really enjoying about this record uh, – I had seen, I saw Dylan in, uh, October in Mankato, Minnesota, and then December 1st, uh, 2019 at the Beacon Theater. And I had, uh, fourth row center seats with my buddy Cam Strang, who's a huge Dylan fan. And they were some of both of those, but especially to see Dylan in New York, because that's really kind of in a way his uh, adopted hometown. And, uh, but, the the those both the performances they 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 were so theatrical they bordered on the Shakespearean, and uh, his voice was in great shape. Of course, he's got one of the greatest touring bands in the world. But to now to see those two performances, and he you know he's been touring for the last thirty years nonstop, but then to come out with this record, I mean, it's just such a, a crown. On top of this 59 years of experience, you know? Yeah, and, and you know, it, 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 I have the sense that he believes that he's finally gotten to the place that he was aiming for 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. He's the guy on the, the Harry Smith anthology. Right. You know, he's the guy that's connected to all those other guys on the Harry Smith uh Chronology. I mean, the last the last album of original period. Damn, he made a song about the Titanic. Right. Harry Smith got a couple of songs about the Titanic <laughs> on that anthology. I mean, he's really there now. And I think the other, and oddly enough, I think the other place you can see this record, if you if you look back with hindsight, you could see this record coming from the radio show he used to do. Right. Where he he said, okay, you know, all you guys that. That, that that joined you know that joined me with Highway sixty one. Here's the stuff I learned from. Mm-hmm. Here's the stuff I you know here's here's just a line out of a car saying life is a ball game. Yeah, you know and and that's where I got it from. And you should go back and listen to him yourself. I think truthfully those hundred episodes he did on the Theme Time Radio Hour was some of his greatest work. Oh, they're fat. They're ter- First of all, he's a he's a, a, an incredible musicologist. Yeah. One Second of, of all, he's a great he's a great disc jockey. He's a great disc jockey. He's got a great late night radio voice. Yeah, and and his thing and that Borscht Belt humor. 
Yeah. You know, I remember one of the great, he did, you know, and then he would do, you know, whatever the occasion was, for example, on Mother's Day. And he, and, uh, and he just tossed off a quick aside and said, yeah, I bought my mother-in-law a chair for Mother's Day, but she hasn't plugged it in yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like Shecky Green meets uh, yeah, Wolfman Jack. I was going to say, it's Bobby, Z- Bobby Zimmerman in the Catskills. <laughs> So what, uh, uh, there's so much to think about with this record, but the one thing that I've been digging with Dylan, uh, since he's been producing his own records for the last 25 or 30 years under his own, under the producer's name, uh, Bob Dylan, AKA Jack Frost, is what an incredible producer he's turned into. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah, he, he had great, he had great producers. You know, all the way through his career, and he obviously was paying attention. Yeah, and you know, it's always been, you know, at, you know, the, the, the testimonies of the Nashville guys from Blonde on Blonde will tell you this. I mean, he's always been producing his own music in his head. Yeah, he could never explain to the other people what he wanted, you know, what he wanted it to sound like. He just knew what he wanted it to sound like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, but th- this has a real. There's a certain warmth to this record that. Uh, uh, and and then you know Bob's delivery. It's just a very comfortable place. You sit and listen to it, but it's not. I mean, there's some terrifying, some terrifying images in this record, right? Oh, I mean, he. I mean, he's read. He's read the whole Bible. I yeah, mean, he went all the way through to the Revelation of John. Right. Which is the last book in the Bible. Right. Uh, and I would point out the best written book in the Bible, but neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> maybe the first science fiction novel. Uh, but I mean, he's, he, he knows the, you know, the, the turns on the road. He knows his, and again, it's, it's, it's really kind of backwoods theology, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, kind of, you know, the Calvinism that got brought over by the Scots-Irish when they settled in Appalachia. Right. And the vengeful, and the, you know, sinners in the hand of an angry God from the Puritans in New England. I mean, he's, he's taken all of this, all of these parts of America into himself, and he's got such a vast array of American cultural history to draw from, it, including and you could you could spend you know you could spend an hour just go just just you know going through following the you know what appear to be the trains of thought that led to the particular song. Right. Well, and like you mentioned, uh, uh, my guest uh, Charles Pierce, I highly recommend you follow him on Twitter. Uh, but you had a great line the other night when uh, there was a little conversation going on about the record, and you said, <clears throat> "Leave it to Dylan uh, to rhyme Leon Russell with uh, Saint John the Apostle." Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean his sense of humor is intact. But yeah, he's a uh, the guy knows his American history. Well, those stories of when he was, you know, out uh, New York when he first moved to New York, he spent uh, hours upon hours in the New York Public Library reading about the Civil War. You know, yeah, and you know, he, I mean, he's, he's you know one of the great autodidacts of all time. Mm-hmm. I mean, he got one honorary degree, and he mocked it in a great song, <laughs> which is "Day of the Locust" for well, about his honorary degree at Princeton. Right. Well, you know, the guy next to me, his head was exploding. I was hoping the pieces wouldn't fall on me. <laughs> Supposedly, he was with David Crosby that day. Hmm. But, I, I mean, that's a rumor I've heard. I don't know. 
that it, the guy next to him whose head was exploding was supposedly David Crosby. <laughs> well, that would make sense if you know anything about David Crosby. The exploding head, absolutely. <laughs> so um, what else really when you started uh, – So, I suppose you were like the rest of us. You heard uh, – uh, Murder Most Fall come out. They dropped that, and then they well, yeah, dropped. I mean, and I was I was just absolutely floored by the aptness of uh, you know you know we, we anybody of our age, right? The events of that weekend are are printed indelibly on your brain. Absolutely, you know, and everything you've read about it, and everything you remember, and everything since. And you know the the you know he he, he has a line about. Uh, he has a line about a nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. It was on Elm Street that Kennedy was. That's killed. right, Houston and Elm. He, yeah, he's got he's got he's got the line that the last thing Nellie Connolly said to JFK before the gunfire rang out was, "You can't say Texas doesn't love you, Mr. President." Mm-hmm. You know, and then he's got the line at the end about your brothers are coming along. Right. I mean, he just you know he he, he and as far as I know, and he, you know his career began right hard on. The events of that weekend. He's never written a song about that. Right. Now, what do you think, Charles? What does it mean to you? I mean, you you are a, a brilliant cat, a writer, a lover of American history, lover of American music, like myself. What does it mean to you that Dylan drops this record in the middle of what we are going on now in this country? Oh, I don't think it was any accident to you. No, I mean he wanted. You know, he, you know, it's a, it's a time of. Great lost illusions and great shattered, great shattered illusions and lost dreams and and the destruction of whatever was left of American innocence and I don't think there was a lot left but whatever was left is you know pretty much falling apart now and here comes Bob saying all right you know this is my take on how it happened and when it started right and you know what I loved about it because when I when I uh, they were talking about when the actual wreck was coming out after they dropped those three uh, online. Was he said June ninth, June nineteenth, and I said leave it to Bob Dylan. It's Juneteenth in his yeah. notebook. Uh, yeah, you know, I, mean, I, I don't believe, I don't think he's done anything by accident for a long time. Yeah, you know, I think everything he does is planned out. Uh, and I thought, you know, what, you know, what, what a kind of gift this is. Absolutely. And you know, I heard that. I didn't know there was an album coming. A lot of my Dylan friends apparently knew there was an album coming. Then he drops the next two songs. Yeah. And I'm like, oh man, this is this is some fine marketing. <laughs> you know, and the idea, by the way, you talk about a, an ex, a wonderful eccentric career. The Murder Most Foul is, is his only number one Billboard hit. <laughs> right, right. He's 79 years old. The song is 17 minutes long. There's no bridge. I mean, yeah. Only Bob and, Dylan. And, and, and only the, Bob the Dylan. Third yeah. of it is is a, a recitation of 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 musicians that he liked. Yeah. <laughs> and I just was reading on the way here this morning, uh, Charles, uh, we're taping this on the Tuesday before the Saturday broadcast, that it looks like that this album is going to go number one in the UK. <laughs> <That's> hilarious. <laughs> Let's listen to uh, uh, Mother of Muses, and uh, we'll get uh, Charlie Pierce's point of view and uh, insight into that song, and then we'll take a break and we'll be right back. Mother of muses, sing for me 
Sing of the mountains and the deep dark sea Sing of the lakes and the nymphs of the forest Sing your hearts out, all you women of the chorus Sing of honor and faith and glory Welcome back to the last end of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzen. Delighted to have another episode of Checkpoint Charlie featuring one of our favorite guests on the show, Mr. Charlie Pierce, talking from his home in Massachusetts. So we just listened at the end of that segment, Mother of Muses. Tell us your insights into that great Bob Dylan song, Charlie Pierce. Well, I had, growing up, I had a real Jones for Greek and Roman mythology. Mm -hmm. I learned to read you know, beyond the C-spot run kind of learning to read. Right. From, a, from an old textbook my father brought back from the high school where he taught called Myths and Their Meaning, which is all about, you know, old Greek mythology, old Roman mythology. And, you know, these are, I mean, you talk about great stories for a kid. Yeah. War, romance, people turning into trees, <laughs> you know, people turning into li- weeping lilies. And so here comes Dylan, and he steals an opening from Homer. Right. The Iliad begins with the phrase, sing to me, O Muse. Yeah. Of the rage of Achilles, son of Peleus, blah, 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 blah. And here comes the song, and Bob says, okay, here it is in 2020, in a voice I borrowed from 1920. <laughs> I mean, how great is that? Yeah. Yeah. It was like he aimed it right at my head. It's like he aimed it right at my consciousness. <laughs> you know, when I saw... Uh, those two Dylan shows I was talking about. No, hang on, just, I oh, go to, ahead. I yeah, keep going. Yeah, go ahead. Thing. Has he been previewing any of this stuff? Live. The last couple, I haven't seen him in a couple of years, so I don't know. No, no. And I'll, and I'll tell you what. The thing about uh, this record, hopefully there will be a point when uh, we have live music again. That would mean a lot to me right. personally because that's how I make my money. Uh, or you, that's how I used to make my money. But uh, – uh, I would love to hear these songs in concert because you listen to uh, the record Tempest, you know, there's a few tunes that didn't quite work for me at the time totally until I heard them live, like Pain Blood. Really? Yeah, and uh, uh, was it uh, Early Roman Kings? I mean, I liked him on the record, but to hear him bring that stuff live. Yeah, it's just like. It's, By the way, who writes who writes a song called "Early Roman Kings"? <laughs> and it's I, about early Roman kings. Yeah, and <laughs> and and set to. It's uh, not a metaphor. It's about early Roman kings. Yeah, and and set to a, a muddy waters tune. You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, that's the other thing about this new record. He does a couple of straight twelve bars. Oh yeah. That that are really good. I mean, Jimmy Reed is a great song. Is a great blues song. Yeah. Well, and the band is so good. Uh, you know, I was listening to it uh, once again on the way out here <clears throat> this morning, uh, cranked to 11 on my truck stereo. And uh, I my feeling this whole thing was uh, recorded live. They might have put in, I don't know, a keyboard uh, part afterwards or maybe some of the those real light background vocals that you can barely hear. But this sounded to me like it was just recorded from the get-go. They turned on the machine. Uh, they started, then they ended. And I love the interplay between the two guitarists, uh, Charlie yeah. Sexton and Bob Britt. Um, 
I could have used and, to look. I mean, as you said before, Charlie Sexton's been with them longer than practically anybody. Yeah. And Charlie Sexton, who started playing <clears throat> with the great Joe Ely, years old. I mean, they used to call him Little Charlie Sexton. I mean, he's. Joe. I mean, I saw Joe Ely at the Paradise in Boston when I worked for Boston Phoenix in 1982 or something. And it was it was an interesting concert because it was it was he was just starting to break a little bit. He, mm-hmm. Nobody really knew it, so it was a very small crowd at the Paradise. But the very small crowd broke the one night beer sales record. <laughs> yeah, well, Joe, so he must have been in that. He must have been in that band. This was 1982. No, I think he could have been. Um, but God, how old is Charlie? Charlie's probably late fifties. Started playing with him literally when he was like eleven or twelve years old. Google it. I mean, there's this picture of this yeah. kid. I mean, if he weighs seventy <laughs> pounds, dripping wet, I'd be surprised. Uh, but you know, there's there's no great greater Roadhouse American band than the Joe Ely band in their prime. I had the. Uh, uh, I saw him several times. I had the uh, uh, the complete honor of opening up for them at First Avenue in 1986. Uh, back then, they had David Grissom on guitar. who went on to play with uh, uh, John Mellencamp and others. And uh, uh, Jesse Taylor on guitar, who became a good buddy of mine. And I was so honored, Charlie Pierce, because uh, Joe called me up for the encore to play uh, Cowbell. Uh, not fade away, of course, of course. Yeah, oh, yeah, well, he, well, he could play not fade away for three and a half hours. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> and 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 Joe and Jesse and Butch Hancock and uh, Jimmy Dale Gilmore, all Lubbock boys like Buddy Holly. Yeah, and I I, I also saw this was a, one of the great double bills of all time in 1980. I saw Joe Ely open for the Clash. That would be phenomenal. Now, uh, Joe Strummer says, and Mick Jones say they learned everything they knew about America from Joe Ely Records. Well, I'm probably, that's probably the case. Yeah. Because this was, this was the tour for London Calling. Yeah. Which is probably the most American record the Clash made. Yeah. No. Uh, but in any event, that's, that's not, that's not there. Without Bob, none of them are there anyway. So yeah. <laughs> that's right. We're talking about. No, Tra- Jesse, Jesse Taylor was his guitar player when I saw him back yeah. in, in, in 19, in, in, you know, I saw him at the Paradise. I've got a, I've got a, uh, I did a show down in Austin at the Saxon Pub that I've got to dig up with, uh, Jesse played guitar and Bobby Mack, uh, Lonnie Mack's brother played guitar. I've got a, I just found on cassette. I'll dig it up and I'll, I'll burn a copy for you. But let's get back right. to Bob Dylan's, uh, Rough and Rowdy Ways record. Uh, we've had a few minutes left here, Charlie. Um, tell us, uh, how do you think, Rough and Rowdy Ways stands up in terms of the rest of the 38 records Bob Dylan's done well, in I think, 59 I think years. It's, def- it, it's definitely in the top third, probably in the top ten. Uh, I think it's better than Tempest, and I really like Tempest. Although you say it's, it's a lot of Tempest sounds better in concert. Uh, you know, you've got Blood on the Tracks, and then you've got, you know, the great trilogy in 1965. Right. Uh and then you know, you know, then you've got this so many records that are great on their own terms, right? Like World Gone Wrong and Time Out of Mind. And good as I've been, almost, to you. it's almost unfair to compare. Yeah, Time Out of Mind with with Highway sixty one. Yeah, I'll bring it all back home. Right. Uh, you know, so so I think it. You know, it, it ranks at the top. You know, they talk about they talk about you know you climb Everest 
and you get to the final step, and then you go to the top, it ranks on the final step. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I think that I think that's where it is right now. I don't think I've listened to it enough, to be perfectly honest with you, to see if it should go any higher. Right. Well, like... No, but, you know, I'm, you know we, we, all, we all have the bobs we love. I love New Morning. Yeah. Which hardly anybody thinks about. Mm-hmm. I love that record, too. But I think, you know, I think Went to the Sea of the Gypsy is one of the funniest songs he ever wrote. Mm-hmm. And I think Sign on the Window is one of the best songs he ever wrote. Right. Well, I love all that. Uh, I love all that early '80s stuff. You know, um, you know, one of my favorite records. Uh, it's got some great tunes on it. Under the Red Sky. Right. Yeah. You know, that's got you know, um, God knows, and uh, Under the Red Sky is a brilliant song with a wonderful slide solo by George Harrison. You know. That I that I think that record holds up really well, and like there's a couple of those tunes that are like really throw offs, cats in the well, and wiggle wiggle. But you hear those yeah. in concert, man, and those are rock and encore tunes, you know. So that's <laughs> why that's why I always love to hear, listen to the record, and then wait to hear them in in, uh, in concert. So uh, well, that, that's 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 funny because that was the way I first came to Springsteen. Hmm. You know, I heard. Wild Innocent and the Street Shuffle, and I kind of liked it, but I thought the production was really bad, mm-hmm. and I thought Vinny Lopez was a terrible drummer, and I thought David Sanchez saved the record pretty much. Right. But then I heard Kenny's Back and uh, Rosalita in concert, and then I thought, all right, now I understand what people are saying. Yeah. Now I get it, you know? Well, you know, and Vinny, I love Vinny's drumming. I mean, uh <clears throat> I, I just I thought he, he had a, just a certain, you know, he was kind of like the jazz version of Keith Moon in a way. It wasn't like traditional rock and roll drumming. Um, and I know you like Mooney, uh, but I uh, uh, I love Vinny Lopez. I had a I brought him to concert in uh, this club I was booking with his the re uh, foreign version of Steel Mill, and I've got to dig up. Oh. I, I did an interview with him at the hotel afterwards. Really a sweet guy. Really a sweet guy. Um, yeah, and he, you know, he, he he got a tough break. He had a Pete Best break, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Charlie Pierce, thank you so much for... Hey, it's always a pleasure, man. We're, now we're going to cross the Rubicon, right? Yeah, yeah. So tell us about uh, the song we're going to end with, Crossing the Rubicon. Well, I mean, obviously, it's, it's, it's another another one of Bob the Classics Professor's songs. Right. You know, it, it, it was, uh, you know, it was what Caesar did. Uh, you know, uh, you know, to take over Rome, basically. Right. And it since became a cliche uh, regarding you know make, making a decision that you can't take back. Right. And uh, you know, it's it, it's no surprise that uh, that uh, you know that he would he would fasten on this particular thing, and it's you know it's uh, and then he said no. Then once again, as we talked about, you know the incredible amount of America that's in this record. Mm-hmm. You know, he brings the Rubicon to being the Red River. Right. Which separates Texas and Oklahoma. <laughs> there's, and there's also Red River on the Minnesota-North Dakota border. Right. I didn't even think of that, but you're right. Yeah. You know, and then and then about, about three verses in, he gets mad. <laughs> and here comes the angry prophet again. <laughs> and, 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 and then, like, in the last verse... There's somebody named Mona who shows up, who's done him wrong, which harkens me back to the first time I heard Visions of Johanna 
And I realized that two verses into the song, he's singing about a totally different woman. <laughs> he's singing about this woman, Louise. Right. What are you doing to me, Bob? The, you know? the guy gets around. Well, a couple of my favorite lyrics from uh, Cross and the Rubicon. Uh, and redder than your ruby red lips and the blood that flows from the rose. Three miles north of purgatory, one step from the great beyond. I prayed to the cross, I kissed the girls, and I crossed the Rubicon. <laughs> Romance. Yeah, the I mean, Lord, what else do you need? Knife and I'll miss you when you're gone. <laughs> I mean, that's some dark stuff right there. <laughs> we suggest everybody go out and get this record, especially if you're a Bob Dylan yes, fan. Do. You're going to love it. Charlie, it'll get, you through the ele- it'll get you through the election. Oh, my goodness. One way or the other. My goodness gracious. Hey, uh, we're going to have Ann Margaret Daniel on uh, next week oh, after now, this now, show to talk about she's this. The one, you go ahead. She's the one who tipped me to the fact the album was coming. Yeah. Yeah, she's just uh, she knows more about Bob Dylan than Bob Dylan. So, but and, we're gonna kind of and and and, twi- and and tweets and tweets at at Venetian Blonde, which is a great name. Yes, yeah, she's phenomenal. So we're gonna these are gonna kind of be our lead up to the Fourth of July. Charlie, another uh, great American out there, Mister Charlie Pierce in Massachusetts. Have a great Fourth of July. The next time we have a if our if the union is still intact, the next time we have a. Uh, Checkpoint Charlie, probably maybe mid-August or so. Uh, keep our fingers Works crossed. We're still here. Uh, in the meantime, have a great holiday, Charlie, and uh, you too, uh, enjoy God the bless, God bless America, or what it used to be anyway. God bless America. Thanks, Mr. Charlie Pierce. See you later, brother. Take care, Paul. Bye-bye. I crossed the Rubicon on the 14th day of the most dangerous month of the year. At the worst time, at the worst place That's all I seem to hear I got up early Welcome back to the Wall and Power Radio Hour. This is Paul Metza. This show is produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Brett Johns. We'd like to thank everybody for listening. We'd really like to thank our guest, Mr. Charlie Pierce. Follow him at Esquire.com or Charles R. Pierce on Twitter. If you'd like to support the show and what I'm doing, just go to PaulMetza.com. I'm going to start a Patreon account soon. In the meantime, I've got a Venmo and PayPal account. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy.